Uh, Aussies don't generally like boasters, uh, show-offs. Uh, the Aussie way is not really to talk about yourself, not to boast. You ask the man of the match, uh, you know, how he played such an amazing game and he, he'll talk about his teammates. And if he does say, yeah, I was pretty good, wasn't I? Then you can be sure that everyone will let him know. Uh, we make fun of people. Uh, we'll, we cut down the tall poppy. We put boasters in their place. Uh, we don't like them, don't like boasters, because they think they're better than everyone else. And that's un-Australian, really, isn't it? The funny thing, though, is in this passage today, Paul is doing some boasting. In fact, three times in 11 verses, he boasts. Now, you probably won't notice it right away because boasting has such a negative meaning that nearly every modern translation uses rejoice instead. I wonder if you can see it now. The end of verse 2, Paul says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, he says, not only so, we boast in our sufferings. And then finally, down in verse 11, he says, not only is, is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, now, rejoice is not a bad translation. Paul certainly has reason to rejoice. But he's actually saying more than that. He's saying for the Christian, there are things that it's right to boast about. Uh, by translating it rejoice, I think it loses some of the sting that Paul intends. Uh, especially the way he's used the word boast uh, in, the, in the previous four chapters of Romans. Let me show you what I mean. Remember what he's been doing in the first four chapters? He's been arguing against the Jews who think that they can be right with God simply because they have the law. In fact, they're boasting about it. Back in chapter 2, verse 17, here's what he said to them. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag same word as boast, if you boast about your relationship to God, and he then goes on to describe all the things the Jews boast about, uh, all the advantages from having the law. Uh, they know God's will. They instruct the foolish. And it all comes because they have the law and they felt it was something to boast about. But Paul goes on and says, the problem is you've got the law, but you don't keep it. So chapter 2, verse 21 of Romans. Uh, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag, there's that boast word again, you who boast about the law, do you dishonour God by breaking the law? You see, Paul is undermining their foundation. They love the law so much and they, they boast about it. But Paul says, you've actually got nothing to boast about. You've got it, but you may as well not have it because you don't obey it. It makes no practical difference. Jews are in the, exactly the same position as the Gentiles. They're all guilty and helpless and dead in their sin and headed for God's judgment. No one can be right with God by just keeping the law because no one can do it perfectly. Remember, that's his, been his argument in the first three chapters. And then he gets to chapter 3, verse 21, and he said, instead, we're put right with God apart from the law, without the law. 
uh, simply by trusting God. And he comes to his conclusion in chapter 3, verse 27, and he asks the question, where then is boasting? Where then is boasting? And he says, it's excluded. Uh, There are no grounds for boasting, at least from a human point of view. Now, this wasn't just a problem for the Jews of Paul's day. Israel had a long history of this same problem, of human pride, of people trusting in their religion rather than their relationship, trusting themselves rather than trusting God. Uh, The prophet Jeremiah, about 600 BC, he had plenty to say to a boasting people. Uh, Like Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 3. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 3. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I'll let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. They think that because they've got this building, because they're making sacrifices, that means they can do anything they like. But God is saying through Jeremiah, don't boast that you've got the temple. Don't trust deceptive words like that. Chapter 8, there's more boasting. Jeremiah points it out and he says, chapter 8, verse 8, how can you say we're wise for we have the law of the Lord? when actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely. More boasting, this time not just the temple, but they're boasting about the law. But once again, it's no good having the law if you don't keep it. And so we come to Jeremiah chapter 9, where God warns that judgment's coming. And then in chapter 9, verse 23 of Jeremiah, we get the lesson that's to be learned from this whole warning about boasting. This is what the Lord says. Jeremiah 9, verse 23. Let not the wise man boast in his strength, uh, in his wisdom, or the strong man boast in his strength, or the rich man boast in his riches, but let, let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness justice and righteousness on earth for in these I delight declares the Lord boasting in your own strength boasting in your own cleverness it gets you nowhere except to judgement but the interesting thing is there is, a, there is a type of boasting that God delights in Jeremiah says the person who boasts that he knows and understands and trusts the God who forgives him. It's not boasting in yourself. It's boasting in the blessings that someone else has given you. That's something that it's appropriate to boast about. There's nothing egotistical about that. It's, if you like, it's rejoicing. But it's more than rejoicing. It's rejoicing and proclaiming it. And so we come back to Romans chapter 5 where Paul is going to describe something that's worth boasting about. He's undercut all the human reasons for boasting, for religious pride, and he's replaced them with grace. And now he's going to show how that 
grace should lead us to an attitude of boasting in God and what he's done, just like Jeremiah did. So Paul's point, and the reason he's speaking like this, is once again, he's got the practical application of a pastor. He's thinking about the Roman church that's got the Jews on one side and the Gentiles on the other. And his point is, you Jews, boasting about yourself, it divides people. But when you boast about God, it unites people. Boasting about yourself divides. Boasting about God unites. Uh, So we come to chapter 5, where he's going to show us the blessings of justification. Uh, He's told us the need for justification, chapters 1 to 3, we're all sinners. He's told told us the way of justification, chapters 3 and 4, through faith in Christ. And now in chapter 5, we're going to get the blessings of justification. Uh, The blessings about being right with God and why that's worth boasting about. So the first blessing, hopefully you've got your Bibles open, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we have peace with God. Verse 1, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If your sin has been wiped away, if God has declared you forgiven, then there's no barrier anymore. There's no enmity. God's action in the past, in the cross, has practical implications for your present life. You've got peace with God now. Peace where there used to be uh, enemies. Access where there used to be distance. Intimacy where there used to be distance, uh, uh, um, alienation. You might remember back in chapter 4, King David rejoiced in what it meant to have peace with God. Uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 7, Paul quotes David in Psalm 32. He says, Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. How good is it to know that your failures, your mistakes, they're not going to be dredged up again? God's not going to say, oh yeah, remember when you did that? He's not going to do that. We might do that to each other, but God's not going to do it to us. It's gone, it's forgotten, it's wiped clean. What a wonderful blessing. And the joy is even greater when we know that we've received it not because we deserve it, but because it's all by grace. Uh, And grace is the second blessing. Uh, We stand in grace. Look at verse 2. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 2. Through Jesus, we've gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. When God declares us righteous... He moves us into the region of grace. We're welcomed into the throne room. There's an open door to the King of Heaven. We receive the all areas backstage pass into heaven. We're living in a realm of grace. And Paul describes it as standing in grace, which I think is about being established, being solid and sure. Uh, that because it's not about our work, but Jesus' work, and we receive it, we can be confident in it. We, we stand in grace, not because of our own efforts. There's no uncertainty. Uh, there's no imposter syndrome. 
There's no hoping you've caught the king on a good day. There's no nervously tiptoeing through life waiting for God to realise he's made a mistake. There's no desperately thinking back over all the things you did during the day, whether you've done enough to deserve God's grace. It's not like that. We stand in grace because of our faith in Jesus. Uh, When Billy Graham, uh, the evangelist, was in Sydney many years ago, I think it was 1977 or 6, he was interviewed by Mike Willisey, who's got a Catholic background. And after a couple of introductory questions, he asked him, Dr Graham, do you think you're going to heaven? Uh, And his answer caused quite a media storm at the time because his response was, I don't just think I'm going to heaven, Mike. I know I'm going to heaven. And it's not because I'm Billy Graham and I've preached to a few people in my time. And it's not because I'm a good man. God knows I'm a sinner. He said, the point is, I know what my future holds because I'm trusting Jesus and he's promised it for me and anyone else who trusts him. I know for sure. That's what it means to stand in grace. And that's a blessing that is worth boasting about. Well, the next blessing we get is at the end of verse 2, and it says, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But remember, it's not just rejoice. Uh, what is it? It's, it's boast. We, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, when we become a Christian, God doesn't promise that all of your problems are going to be fixed up. He doesn't promise you're going to be suddenly smart and get 100% in your exams. He doesn't promise that you'll be making all those rep teams you want to make. He doesn't promise that you'll get all these amazing friends. Uh, He doesn't promise your problems will be fixed up. In fact, often life becomes more difficult when you become a Christian. But one thing that we can be sure of, God has promised us glory. We hope in the glory of God, seeing and experiencing his glory, seeing and experiencing the glorious new heavens and new earth for all eternity but also receiving glorious resurrected bodies ourselves. It's experiencing the glory of no more pain or crying or sickness or sin. Perfect intimacy and peace and fulfilment. Uh, The character which has been made just like Jesus. A character that's been purified and disciplined through those actual difficulties. Paul goes on to describe another reason to boast. Uh, The Christian can actually boast in the face of sufferings. And this is almost impossible to imagine, isn't it? Verse 3, not only so, but we also rejoice, we also boast in our sufferings. Can you imagine that? (laughs) Boasting in sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. The Christian can boast in sufferings because God, as our wise, loving Father, has brought them about to grow, to provoke, to produce perseverance in us and character and hope. Those sufferings mould our character more and more into the likeness of Jesus Sufferings make your character fit for your new resurrection body. 
and the glorious eternity of a new heavens and a new earth. So if you're suffering, and some of us are at the moment, when you're suffering, take the long-term view. God is at work on your character. Jesus is being formed in you more and more each day. So don't grumble in your sufferings. Don't get angry or impatient in your sufferings. Pray for the eyes of faith to see that God is at work in you. Pray for the faith to be able to instead boast in your sufferings. And as you look at your Christian brothers and sisters around you and you see them suffering and you see God at work in them, developing a patience and a long-suffering and a hope, then encourage them. Tell them what you can see uh, that God is doing in them so they too can boast in their sufferings. But it's not... But it's not all just future promises while we suffer now. God's actually given us good things in the present. He's given us a taste of that future hope right now, an experience of himself. Uh, It's the fourth blessing that we can boast in. Look there in verse 5. And hope doesn't disappoint us. Uh, We don't run out of hope. We don't fail to, to, to grab hold of the hope. Why? Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he's given us. God brings suffering to strengthen our hope, but he also gives us his spirit to make our hope more dependable, more reliable, more consistent. The experience of the Christian life may be suffering, it may be persecution or sickness or testing, but at the same time, For the genuine Christian, there's also an experience that despite our sin, despite the difficulties, God loves us. Now, at times that feeling is stronger than at other times. I don't know when you have experienced that, just this real uh, feeling that you're loved. Uh, I, I can never pick it when I'm going to sort of experience it. But often it'll just sort of catch me by surprise. I read something in the, in, in the Bible or I read a book, a Christian book. Often it's the words of a song that'll just grab me. Sometimes it's a prayer that someone is praying on our behalf up here at the front. And it'll just catch me, a glimpse of God and his character and his love for me. It's nearly always when I recognise how undeserving I am, how sinful, and it's love that comes from grace. That comes from God's spirit. It doesn't come from emotional manipulation. It doesn't come from stirring music. It doesn't come from a lack of sleep. That's God's spirit at work. The genuine experience of the gracious, uh, undeserved love from the holy king of the universe comes from his spirit given to all Christians. And I love how Paul says his love has been poured into our hearts like a rainstorm that that floods down on a dusty, dry desert. And I don't know if it's ever... uh, Sometimes it feels like that for me. I I just get this this, uh, overwhelming feeling of being loved by God, being swept away by the strength of it and the grace of it. And God has done it that way to make our hope more sure, our hope of something beyond this life. 
But there's another proof God gives us that he loves us. He gives us a taste by his spirit, but he also gives us a practical demonstration. And that's the fifth blessing. Uh, It's the cross. We can boast in the cross. That's God's love demonstrated. Now, the cross is all sorts of things, but uh, Paul's point here is that the cross uh, is a a demonstration, a historical proof that God loves us. Uh, Look at verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, the point is not that the cross was such a terrible way of dying and that showed how much God loved us. It was really painful. The the point Paul's making is that he did it at just the right time to demonstrate love. When we were powerless, when we were his enemies. That's the demonstration of love. It's just possible to imagine a father sacrificing himself for someone, for a son, or, or maybe uh, to someone who sacrifices himself for a righteous person, someone who deserves it, or, or maybe a good person, uh, someone you're indebted to, maybe a benefactor. I think they're the categories he's talking about here. But it's another thing entirely to die for someone who hates you. Now that's love, to die for someone who hates you. Uh, If you're a cricketer, the best time to demonstrate your character is when the pressure's on. Scoring a century when your team is 7 for 25, uh, the ball is swinging, the conditions are difficult, that's the right time that shows what a good cricketer you are. If you can score a century when your team is 3 for 500 and the conditions are perfect and the bowlers are exhausted, that's all right, but it doesn't really demonstrate very much. Uh, There's a good time to demonstrate if you're a good cricketer. And Christ dying when we were his enemies, that's just the right time to demonstrate the Father's love. It's the historical proof of the cross in the past that assures us that God loves us in the present and gives us the confident hope in the future. Sixth point. God's already done the difficult thing. So we can be 100% confident that he will do the easier thing in the future. He's done the difficult thing in the past so we can be sure he'll do the the easier thing in the future. That's the logic of blessing number six. Uh, We've been saved from God's wrath. Have a look at verse nine. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Can you see the logic? The cross is the evidence that God has done the the really difficult thing. He's done the hard thing. He's made us his friends when we used to be enemies. And if we're now his friends, then it's a relatively simple thing to save his friends. 
He's done the hard thing when we were enemies into making us friends and now we're friends to save us on the last day. That's an easy thing because we're already friends. That's the sixth blessing of being justified. When it comes to judgment day, when we're called to give an account of our life, God will say to those who belong to him, friends, come on in, step this way. Former enemies but now friends, when I look at you, I see Jesus' righteousness. Come on into the party. Your name's right here on the invitation list. Now that's something that's worth boasting about. And that's how Paul finishes this section. He's summing summing up all of those blessings when he says in verse 11, not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God. There it is again, we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. Being made right with God, there are so many blessings to it that you just want to brag about it. Brag about God because he's so good and because you're not. It's a little bit like a bushwalker, say, who who stumbles unexpectedly across an amazing view. He's tramping along through this path and there's leeches on him and but then all of a sudden he steps out onto the cliff top and he sees in front of him this amazing unexpected view a, a waterfall or a mountain in the distance or a sunset he, he can't believe his good fortune he takes the photos he posts them on instagram and facebook and whatever else he can think of he tells everyone he can see that's the sort of boasting we're talking about here it's not to do with you it's to do with where you're standing and what you're experiencing. And and that's the same for us. That's the sort of boasting we should be on about. Nothing to do with us, but everything to do with where we're standing, which is standing in grace. Uh, We should be boasting, defending, enjoying our enthusiasm for the grace in which we stand should be contagious. We should be as evangelistic about the place we're standing in as that, as that bushwalker is as he publicises the wonderful photos he's taken. God delights in people who boast in him like that. God delights in those who delight in God. Remember these words from Jeremiah? This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. May he be our boast. Let's pray. What great words from Jeremiah, our Lord. Uh, They're New Testament words, really, uh, that you delight in righteousness and justice and kindness. May we boast in you. May we firstly rejoice, but more than that, may we tell others, may we share the good things that we have because we know you. Uh, And we pray these things for Jesus' honour and glory and in his name. Amen.